Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to video number 69 and audio season 3, episode 34 of Music is Not a Genre. Each week I take a bunch of stuff from my music collection, I discuss them, I give you my take on them, I throw in some interesting tidbits and facts and opinions, and I connect them to my music, to other music, and to other things in the world. Thank you, as always, to everybody who uh, is here listening and or watching who is uh, reading the text below and clicking on the links and, and reading again and listening again. And anyone who subscribed to my YouTube channel and especially anyone who is a Patreon patron, thank you very much. If not, please go ahead and check my uh, Music Is Not A Genre Patreon site because it has a whole bunch of exclusive content like my interviews series, uh, which I think you, if you're loving this, you're going to love that too. Uh, something to consider. This week... The topic is, it's Olivia's world, we just Apple Elephant. The awesome, weird retro of Elephant 6. Um, yeah, so weird, right? Getting a little weird this week, as you can see with the way uh, those of you who can't see, or just listening on audio, sticking my giant hand in front of the camera to point out the flowers on top of my CDs here. It's incongruous, but it works, which is the whole point of kind of what Elephant 6 does. So before I get into that, let me talk about one idea that really kind of ties this all together because it's about what they do or did or have done. I love the idea of music collectives. Uh, you know, collectives in general can be pretty awesome, especially if they are centered around certain philosophical ideas or, you know, uh, which usually they are. That's the reason why they're together. Now I'm not talking cults, you know, that's a whole different thing. The idea of a collective is you can come and go as you please. You do, you know, things in a collab, in collaboration with the rest of the group, but you can, you know, shoot off and do your own thing as well. And the thing with the idea of a music collective is that it already kind of works that way anyway. Anyone who's been a musician for any stretch of time knows that you have your core project or projects. You have friends or colleagues who have their core project or projects. You may often come together and do each other's projects or do a brand new project or maybe called by some acquaintance to do some other project there. And there might be a barter system where that person then comes and helps you out or however it works. But there are constantly musicians collaborating with other musicians on other things. And often that happens with the same people. 
you get to know somebody, you rely on them, you trust them, you vibe with them, and so you want to work with them again. You call on them when you need, you know, someone to fill a certain role, and that's how, and that to me really is the is is a, the definition of a collective in all but name, and I mean that in all but name because you know nine times out of ninety nine times out of a hundred nine hundred ninety nine times out of a thousand nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine times out of ten thousand those circumstances don't have a name to them. It's just musicians getting together doing what they do, whether it's playing or, or writing or producing. Uh, but every now and then, musicians decide to come together at the start and form a collective. Um, I think that one of them in the O's, I want to say it was in the O's, was a group called the Polyphonic Spree, which was the name of the band, but it was also kind of a collective um, there have certainly been others. So there have been, you know, famous writer collectives and poet collectives, things like that, even art, uh, you know, visual artists and, and, and such. And I think that this week's topic qualifies as, as, as one in the, in the music world. Uh, they're defined as a loose collective, uh, and they name themselves Elephant Six, uh, I couldn't find why. I couldn't find a reason online why they named themselves that. But I will say that part of their aesthetic was based on uh, these publications called the Surrealist Manifestos from, I believe, the 1920s. So, and, and they were often known for obfuscation and misdirection and kind of, you know, saying things to, yeah, to mislead people. Uh, famous for saying we all live on a compound somewhere. That was never true, you know. But it was a way to kind of create this aura around the idea of Elephant Six. Um, they, the, and I think that the idea of the collective is really what it became. It, it started in the late 80s and became what it has been known for in the 1990s. And that is a bunch of people forming a bunch of bands, all centering around certain aesthetics and ideals, but also all doing their own thing. Uh, now, I mean, I think the you know one of the main uh, factors for success in any collective is that you all have to agree on some things. You all have to have kind of the same feel about certain core things. And we're talking about a collective, Elephant Six here, that spawned over 30 bands, not counting offshoots and other things that they, you know didn't consider themselves part of the collectives, and certainly not counting the bands they influenced, which I'll get to in a second. And uh, we'll talk more about all you know all of that. And in order for that to have worked for any stretch of time, and it worked for maybe I don't know, 10 or 15 years before things kind of got, you know, loosened up and who knows, people got older, they wanted to do more solo things and kind of explore other kinds of music. And this, this just happens, you know, no collective lasts forever. But for that time, their kind of, their kind of core principles, the core elements, other than what I, you know, was saying about the surrealism and, and the, you know, being weird, uh, purposely weird, is they, they were all fans, professed fans of, let's say mid to late 60s music, but in particular, mod, psychedelic, uh, chamber pop, uh, you know, those, that kind of rock and pop, if you think of middle period Beatles, 
through really through the Beatles through let's say Magical Mystery Tour. Um, so from you know Rubber Soul Revolver through the Magical Mystery Tour, uh, you think of Pet Sounds or the famous uh, Beach Boys Smile album that was never finished and never fully released until some version many, many decades later. And what was there morphed into an album called Smiley Smile, but it was so legendary that just the the potential existence of it influenced a lot of people. Uh, or the band The Zombies, which I recently listened to a bunch of a few months ago, and you know, they, the guy who started the zombies morphed into the band Argent and all of that in the seventies, but just listen to some of their stuff, listen to anything I just mentioned, and you'll get an idea of where they're kind of, you know, what they were obsessed with. And they took that and they added, you know, modern rock, indie rock, alt rock, whatever you, whatever you want to call it, uh, alt pop, um, kind of soft pop, twee pop, synth pop, um, like, uh, let's say Gautier, somebody that I used to know who I would say would be somebody who was influenced by this movement. Um, and put all that together, put what was happening in the nineties, very particular things though, in the nineties, in the underground world, the movement, in the movement. And, uh, then all the things they were obsessed with about that kind of sixties music. And, and you get pretty much an idea of what elephant six was all about and what they sounded like. And listen, you can't, no one band, um, you know, epitomizes all of that. They each emphasize certain different elements, some more psychedelic, some more kind of that mod, that bouncy mod kind of sound with the, you know, crunchy but not overbearing guitars. Uh, some emphasize more the synth part of it or the indie rock part of it, or even kind of a freak folk kind of feel to it. And we'll get into some of that very soon. Um, but they all shared some portions of those common principles. Um, and, you know, they were known by, I guess, a few people in the 90s. And as the 90s wore on, more of what they did was known by more people. And what you ended up getting was that the kind of garage rock revival in the 2000s and moving on to kind of the synth rock, synth pop uh, you know, revival also in the, in a little later in the 2000s. And uh, even beyond that, kind of the psychedelic rock and pop that came in maybe the 2010s, early 2010s, you can hear the Elephant Six influence all over the place. Uh, we were just listening to a couple of songs from them. And, you know, actually, before I get to that, let me list the bands that I have here that were professed to be to have been influenced by Elephant Six. Franz Ferdinand, which totally makes sense now that now that I know that. Arcade Fire, big time. There's a there, the, you know, there's certain elements of weirdness and folksiness and, and sprawl that kind of sprawling sound to them. Uh, and Tame Impala like major big time. Um, I had fallen uh, out from listening to some Elephant Six stuff for a while, and it's partly because they weren't really producing much of it. So I missed that connection when Tame Impala came out. But again, now that I see it, you know, it, it's absolutely amazing. You can hear a direct connection. But then at the same time, um, my partner mentioned the Raconteurs. And... That to me, again, is that kind of garage rock connection that has some kind of 60s influence to it. And 
I mean, you can just keep listing bands. You know, I mentioned I mentioned Gautier, but I mentioned there there are bands now. I, I believe that not only was uh, Elephant Six and that whole movement a huge influence on the music of this current century, but that they were the the major one of the major shaping influences of the entire indie movement of this century that has morphed as indie movements often do into uh part uh, parts of the pop world uh bands that were influenced by those bands having you know mega selling uh singles and streaming singles and all of that and that's something that i talk about all the time how something that's kind of bubbling under which is weird to people there are people there are the the kind of first wave people who know about it immediately i classify myself as a second wave person a second second wave adopter who hears about it from people who already know about it or or some journalist who knows about it and adopts it uh, once it's sort of been slightly established that there are people out there who are really digging this, but before the rest of the world knows about it, and then the rest of the world knows about it, and they think it's weird at first, but then eventually enough musicians adopt it and feel you know their connection to it that they incorporate that stuff in what they're doing, and all of a sudden, or not all of a sudden, gradually it it, it uh, enters into the mainstream and affects the mainstream in a way that becomes historic. And you can go back decades, talk about any type of music that was originally thought of as unorthodox or out of place in some way. It eventually, uh, most most of them anyway, influenced pop music to the point where it changed the course of it. And I'm saying here that I believe that that's what uh, Elephant Six did. And even though they never officially broke up, I'm kind of using past tense here because they've been inactive for a very long time for a few, some of the reasons I mentioned and a few others that we'll get to. But let's get more specific because even to this day, unless you are music obsessive, and that's my job, you may not even know what I'm talking about or who I'm talking about. You could be watching this video and staring at these CDs and still have no idea. And certainly those of you who are only listening, you know, unless you have pre-existing knowledge of Element 6 or any of the bands, you wouldn't know. Although, and I will say this, there are bands in this collective, you may know their names, but didn't know that they were part of the collective. And I will say, and I will say quickly also that Elephant 6 eventually became its own uh, record company, an indie record company. So it was more than just a collective. It, it was a, you know, a business as well. Uh, released a bunch of uh, albums from many of their bands. And that's, Let's talk about them now. So of the 30-plus bands, I think almost 40 bands that uh, Elephant Six uh, spawned, there are four that had a pretty high measure of success. And uh, in no particular order, they are The Apples in Stereo, The Olivia Tremor Control, Neutral Milk Hotel, and Of Montreal. And I'm singling out those four for particular reasons, um, but also because... I have CDs uh, in front of me here of two of those bands, plus a third band, an offshoot of one of them. And, uh, you know, let's get into that now. So if you don't know anything about Elephant Six and you are inclined, like I am, to like Britpop, Brit Rock of a certain kind, 
you like things that are a little uh, psychedelic or have some unexpected twists, but also have, uh, you know, good beats and a pop sensibility. Uh, you like the Beatles and things that have been influenced by the Beatles or the or certain parts, you know, qualities of the Beach Boys or, or like I said, the zombies and that kind of mod rock. Uh then you will probably be inclined to like these bands to some degree. And each one is slightly different, so everyone has their favorites, and, and, and uh, you know some bands resonate more with other people than they do with me. But I would say if you don't know anything about it and want to get into it, the place to start is with the Olivia Tremor Control. They, to me, in the, in the 90s in particular, and that's really almost the whole time they existed, um, were the core of Elephant Six. They were the core. And one of the founders of Elephant Six, the, the late Bill Doss, was the head of that band. And um, the subsequent band, the Offshoot Band, which I think existed concurrently, uh, the, Sun, the Sunshine Fix. And, you know, you could say other of the bands were also very core, and we'll get to one of them very soon. But I think that I always thought that Olivia Tremor Control embodied the aesthetic of Elephant Six more completely than any of the other bands. They had each one of those elements I mentioned, the mod, the, 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 the psychedelia, the, the chamber pop, um, a degree of synthiness and, and, and kind of twee pop and alt pop, certainly indie rock. Uh, and even kind of a bit of a freak folk element. That really, Olivia Tremor Control had all of that at some point. And so I'd suggest starting with them, and I'd suggest starting with, let's pull it out. For those of you who can see, I'm just going to point. It says, uh, Olivia, the Olivia Tremor Control presents Singles and Beyond. Um, that's the one I'd start with. Not because it's definitive. In fact, it's mostly just B-sides and rarities, but it gives kind of a comprehensive idea of what they're all about. But then I would 100% bounce to the album Black Foliage. It's an album I did own at one point and lent out and never never got back. But yeah, I guess I could just stream it now. Hmm. The blessings and curses of streaming. Uh, but I would go, I would go for those. And in particular, the song uh, hideaway is a great song. So look up the song hideaway, Olivia Tremor control, start with that and then move on from there. Uh, once you've listened to them, I would suggest moving on to uh, the band that I have represented here in the front. Uh, but before I get to that, let me just make a quick comment that the, the CD next to the Olivia Tremor control CD is is a band called The Sunshine Fix, and the album is called Age of the Sun, which uh, that there's a title song on the album that I would recommend listening to. That band was also started, like Olivia Tremor Control, by Bill Dawes, and is what really was the continuation, in a way, of Olivia Tremor Control in the 2000s until his untimely death at the age of 43, of, I think, an aneurysm although there's some mystery there, in 2012, which is one of the reasons why not many of the bands of Elephant Six have been active. Uh, it's pretty devastating to go through that when a founding member dies. Uh, but uh, as far as that 
album, Age of the Sun, like I said, Everything is Waking, also an excellent song. Uh, check that out. And now, let's get to the next band, The Apples in Stereo. And I think that they may not have embodied the aesthetic most completely, but they had the most complete and accessible amalgamation of, of the spirit of Elephant Six, but done in a way that was very, like I said, very accessible, very poppy in its, in its own way. They incorporated a lot of synths. They had that mod sound big time. They had absolutely some psychedelic sound to it. They didn't do a ton of folk or, you know, didn't have many folk elements, but that, that's in there too. Uh, and absolutely chamber pop, 100%. Uh, and, and their vibe was very indie. And again, I say was, they didn't break up, but they haven't released anything in about a decade. So, you know, hopefully they'll get something going. Because I would say that they, uh, by default, uh, became my favorite of the Elephant Six bands. Uh, as you can see here, I have four of their, oof, I want to say eight or nine albums, perhaps. And... Um, the first one is called The Discovery of a World Inside the Moon. Moon spelled with an E at the end. I'll tell you why that's important later. And this one's Velocity of Sound. This is New Magnetic Wonder. And then the next one's Travelers in Space and Time. Uh, each one has slightly different qualities as far as first one, I would say, The Song Go. The Song Go is kind of like a great representation of the apples and stereo in general. Um, and please is kind of a nice, uh, you know, counter to that. And then energy from the next album is the one that really got me, you know, like whatever they put out, I'm going to buy like that song. I'll play that, you know, every year pretty much. And then same old drag is a kind of a nice antidote to that in a way. Uh, and then, uh, sun is out is also sun is out. I don't know. I, I just listened to it. Listen to the Apples and Stereo Sun is Out. In fact, I'm going to say start with that one if you're starting with this band. And then Dream About the Future, Told You Once uh, from the last album. All absolutely worthy songs to start with. Uh, if and when they ever put out something else, I'm going to listen to that. And I also have plans to do one of my chronologies and listen to not certainly not 36 bands worth. But at least these core bands, their catalogs, chronologically, um, fairly soon. Because there are parts that I've missed. Uh, I started with the Discovery World of World Inside the Moon, but there were albums the Apple and Surrey put out before then that I never listened to. So things like that. And, and more from Olivia Tremor Control. And now you have, <clears throat> of the four bands I mentioned, Of Montreal. Of Montreal, I don't know a lot about except that everybody talked about them in the late O's, in particular, early, teen, early teens a little bit. They really embodied the indie sound of that time. And what's funny is I listened to some of their stuff yesterday, and when I heard it, I'm like, oh, what's the big deal? That's what all indie pop music sounds like now, forgetting that they did it 15 years ago. And they were doing things, again, underground stuff that influenced the overground, so to speak. And their sound is more kind of ambient and synthy, more modern sounding. Um, not straight up pop, but pop enough. 
they've also lasted longer than any of the other bands. They've, they've more consistently released music than any of the other bands. Their songs have been more ubiquitous than in commercials and films and all these things. Uh, and like I said, anyone who was in indie music at a certain time talked about this band more than any of the other Elephant Six bands. And then you have the final one on my list of four here, Neutral Milk Hotel. And just for people who can't, who are just listening, who can't see, I don't have CDs from any of those, of either of those last two bands, but I thought they were worth mentioning, important to talk about. Neutral Milk Hotel is a band that I knew the name of for the last couple decades, but knew nothing about other than they were indie, slightly weird. They, they probably had a sound that was a little on the softer side. Um, and that's it. Until I read the Rolling Stone Top 500 albums, you know, a few months ago, and found that they were somewhere in the 300s. Their album, In the Aeroplane Over the Sea, again, a weird spelling. I'll tell you why that's important, uh, is, is, uh, is on there. And is talked about as being, again, a huge influence. Uh, one critic said it wasn't necessarily the best of that type of music, but it was so influential that it can't be overlooked. Um, and when I listened to it, I really got a, like a freak folk vibe. And if you, know, if you don't know what that is, it's a lot of things. But go ahead and look it up. It's just basically folk-inspired music that has a lot of weirdness to it. Um, and that is, that's 100% what Neutral Milk Hotel was. They didn't last very long. Uh, I'm not sure what their members are doing now, though they're probably in other bands, and some of them anyway. And then when you've listened to that album, go listen to any of Arcade Fire's music, and you will hear just a gigantic influence. Uh, and I would say that's a case where Arcade Fire brought to fruition the stuff that Neutral Milk Hotel was doing in a, in a more maybe successful way, you could say. And I know it's a judgment call, but I, I think that's kind of what's happening here. And listen, I was glad that Elephant Six was represented at all on the Rolling Stone Top 500. I would have chosen a different band, but that's only because I'm into the different bands and hadn't really been exposed to, the, to them. You know, uh, but, but I would recommend listening to that album in the aeroplane over the sea. Um, because of the influence that it had. Um, speaking of which, influence. The way this works in the indie world and in really music in general is that people who create music very often have their ear to the ground or ear to the sky and they hear something that their brain says, well, I didn't know you could do that. Or I didn't know that you could do that now. I thought that was whenever ago or you know sounds too futuristic and you realize it the realization happens that sure you can do that i mean you can do anything but that's an idea that is sparked inside of you as a creator that then goes on to influence the music you make and as i said quite often influences the entire course of popular music uh and so much of what they did was unorthodox and out of place it was retro in a weird way the awesome weird retro of elephant six part of the title uh, and th the fact that I've always been into Brit pop and Brit rock and, and all of that stuff, 
uh, something I've talked about before, but when I re-listened to some of this music yesterday, it struck me, and this is the second time it's happened this year with music, that so much of this bled into what I subsequently did that I forgot. It just became a part of me. It, the, more, the more I re-listened, the more me I heard, really. And, and, and some great examples. Great examples would be, well, the, the song, uh, song of mine that was never officially released, although it's on uh, kind of a home EP called Black Eyed Susan. It's a song called Sample. And I put the link down there. It's on SoundCloud. Check it out. They like said it's a home demo. But you'll hear, I mean, listen to the Apples and Stereo and then listen to that song, you know. Uh, although what's interesting is I did that song before I had ever heard of the Apples and Stereo, which shows that there were some, you know, influences that were shared. But then listen to a more recent songs, such as the song Sparkle Shine Shine from Rec, my band Rex album, The Sunshine Seminar, and forget it. I mean, that's Apples and Stereo. The album name, The Sunshine Seminar. And this band, The Sunshine Fix. I had probably forgotten about the band by then, but I'm sure there was a subconscious influence. Just how the pre my previous album, one of the previous albums, rec albums, Parts and Labor, I spell labor, L-A-B-O-U-R. It's the British way of spelling, and it's a weird thing to do. And that's something that all of these bands did. Like I said, those weird misspellings uh, have been an influence on the stuff that I do. And then go to a more recent song from Rex's album, Symphony for the Weird. It's called The Accumulate. And that's, that's a very psychedelic pop rock. Um, there's a weirdness to it there. But again, a poppiness. It's very, again, it was, it was like it's shocking to me how much of what I do has been influenced by Elephant Six, which is, and, and whether you're into that music or not, I recommend just checking out some of what they do. Uh, do you even remember them? Have you heard of any of this? Have you heard of any of these bands? If so, do you have a band that's more of a favorite than the ones that I've mentioned, and especially the kind of the core four that I mentioned? Uh, do you know of other music that is similar to this? Because there's a ton of it. I think there's there were portions of what Beck did for a while that had that same kind of vibe, even. And what's funny is a lot of what I have done, especially early on with Rec, and before I even called my band Rec, uh, I was compared to Beck often. And and it, uh, again, you know, we're kind of contemporary, so it wasn't so much slightly maybe an influence, but it was more we were influenced by similar things and just interpret them in similar but different ways. You know, um, if you've listened to any of the uh, Elephant Six bands, uh, based on my recommendations, comment. I want to know uh, what you think about all of this, about any of the bands, whether you agree or disagree with what I said, have completely different opinions, or just want to vibe down on some of this awesome stuff. Please let me know, because as always, my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.